Also, I graduated from the school that used to meet here every Monday. Uh, so this, this building has really shaped me, and you all are a part of my life, even though you don't really know me that well. Uh, you're, you're a big part of my life. Uh, I meet uh, every now and then with uh, that Thursday morning pastor's prayer group, and um, it's, been a, it's been a joy to get to, to know Mike a little better. So, um, someone was here, so I just shook hands with someone who was here to, to hear Mike preach this morning. <laughs> uh, uh, That's a very strange thing. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever that was. And uh, so, I had to apologize. <laughs> they showed their love for me in a very strange way. <laughs> So Mike, I, I think he, he, he really put the pressure on. He said, well, you're going to hear a better sermon today, and I, I highly doubt that. Um, no, it's been awesome to, to get to be here. After. This, is, this is wonderful. Uh, thank you all for, for hosting. Uh, you host us every Saturday night, but thank you for hosting us uh, today. This is beautiful. Um, okay, so let me just, for, for the people who don't go to ECF, Manual Christian Fellowship, well, let me catch you up on where we are. Uh, so the sermon makes sense. We are taking five years to go through the whole Bible. And this comes on the tail end of a three-year trip through the whole Bible. We, we got to the end. We said, that was good. Let's do it again. But let's go slower, if you can imagine. So we're taking five years to go through the Bible. We're at the end of year one. And uh, let's see, where are we? We did the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, and, uh, but we also dipped into the New Testament a couple times. We studied the book of Hebrews right after we finished the book of Leviticus, which was really awesome to go right into uh, the book of Hebrews where it talks about Christ as a fulfillment of the law. We went back to Deuteron- Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we came into wh- where we are is Matthew right now. What a great book to read right after coming out of Deuteronomy. Uh, a lot of people say Matthew is structured uh, to reflect the five books of Moses. There's, there's five main sections of Jesus' teaching and uh, the story of his ministry. Um, so we've been walking through Matthew. And as I understand, did, did you all go through Matthew 13 last week? Was that correct? Or did, did, did Mike change, uh, change course? Parables of the kingdom? Well, what I want to talk about... they don't remember what we did. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great sermon. <laughs> See, Bob, I told you. <laughs> Put it right there. Um, but one of the things that's interesting about Matthew is just how many threads of the Old Testament he, he identifies and, and weaves together into his story. And this goes beyond even the overt references to the, to the prophecies that, that are being fulfilled uh, as Jesus walks through the, the earth. If you, if you read the, the first few chapters of Matthew, which I hope you do sometime during the Christmas season, it's, it's one of the, the two Gospels that contains the story of the birth of Jesus. But all through the section, it's, it's talking about, and this happened to fulfill this scripture, and this happened to fulfill this scripture. And so Matthew's full of those, but even beyond the overt references, Matthew tells his story in a very Old Testament way that, that was sure to... Um, speak to the Jewish imagination, stories that they had grown up with, um, stories that formed, um, you know, <laughs> it's funny, we, I, I went and saw the new Star Wars uh, a couple days ago, and it's funny to hear the reaction, no, there's no spoilers, somebody just went like this, <laughs> no spoilers, 
But it's funny to hear the reactions because these are stories that people grew up with and they've, they've pondered them their whole lives. And now it's like a life or death situation, what they do with these movies. And it, this is what the Jewish mind, right? They, they were steeped in these stories of Moses, of, of deliverance, of exile, of longing for the coming of the Messiah. And so when Matthew starts to tell his story, he's just dropping bomb after bomb that would just explode in, in the Jewish mind, okay? Um, so I love Matthew for that. And it's great having kind of steeped ourselves in the Old Testament just over the course of this year to be able to pick up on some of those. Um, so today, my, my topic is the mystery of the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom. Um, a lot of times, what goes on at the highest levels of government is a mystery to us. Yeah. <laughs> right? I think our current president uh, is, has been impeached uh, for these reasons. People are, are concerned with what's going on behind closed doors. Um, state secrets, the CIA, right? What do we really know about the motives of, of world leaders? We don't know much. Right? We, we sit here and we kind of watch the news. And, and actually in America, we probably know more than most other countries. We have freedom of the press. And there's, there's relative, and I underline relative transparency in the government. Uh, it's a democratic state. But there are still a lot of state secrets. Okay? So... I want to talk about the, the, the state secrets of the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom. Um, another way to look at it is when you, when you read a, a mystery novel or watch a, a movie that's a mystery, what's the whole point of that? It's to figure out who done it, to figure out what is, the, what is the piece of information that will make the whole thing then make sense. Um, I love mysteries. I love a good, a good twist at the end. I love, uh, this is dating myself a little bit now, but the, the Sixth Sense, if you remember that movie, there's a big twist at the end. Spoiler alert. Um, there's a big twist at the end of that movie. And you can't watch the movie again in the same way. You see, you see the end from the beginning. And so there's no more secrets. There's no more whodunit. You know whodunit, and then... It just becomes a matter of, of seeing it unfold uh, and, and go towards its end. So I want to talk about the mystery of uh, the kingdom. And I'm actually going to start where you left off last week in Matthew 13. A couple passages from Matthew 13. And Matthew 13 is one of the long sections of teaching in the book of Matthew. It alternates story with a block of teaching. Right? The Sermon on the Mount is one of those blocks of teaching. Chapter 13 is one of those blocks of teaching. And it's full of parables about the kingdom. Matthew 13 is just a long list of parables about the kingdom. But Jesus says this in, in verse 16. This is at the end of the... He's explaining the purpose of the parables. And he's explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples. And he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not 
hear it. These are secrets. These are mysteries. Verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill, and here's another fulfillment. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. What is this? What is this hidden knowledge? What is the secret of the kingdom? Um, I'm going to give some background. When Jesus comes on the scene, the idea of Messiah was nothing new to the Jewish people. They had studied Scripture, and they were longing for the coming of Messiah. One of the best Christmas songs, if not the best Christmas song, I think that really captures the essence of the coming of Jesus is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. There was a sense, at, even at the time of Jesus' coming, and you can get a, you can get a sense of this in, in Luke's gospel, in Luke's telling of the birth story, that there's this waiting. There's this understanding that, yes, we have come back from the Babylonian exile, and we are back in Jerusalem technically, but we're not in charge, right? God's king is not in charge. Caesar's in charge. And we have to do what he says. And the government is not the way it should be. And there's a sense in which it, that, that Jews in that time still felt that they were in exile and were waiting to be delivered. And so that cry of, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us, ransom captive Israel. This was really on the heart of the faithful people. You can see it in Zechariah in the book of Luke. You can see it in Anna and Simeon who were waiting and crying out. And once, once the, the, the infant Jesus comes on the scene, they go, this is the one. All right? But in Matthew, we don't get that, that picture of faithful Israel longing for the Messiah. Uh, the people that, <laughs> that acknowledge who he is at his birth are not Jews at all. They're the wise men. They knew the secret. They knew the mystery. And so in the beginning of the story, these wise men come from the east and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's messianic language. Herod gets upset. Why would Herod get upset? He, said, he calls him very clearly, Herod the king. When, he, when Herod the king heard this, he called the wise men and said, come, tell me where he is. Tell me the state secrets. Bring me into the back room where it's going on. Luckily, the wise men listened to the vision of the angels and didn't, didn't tell Herod, didn't tip him off. But even there at the beginning, Herod says, there's something going on. He's coming. And it's a threat to my authority. Well, you go on through the Gospel of Matthew... And Jesus, to his disciples, begins to, from chapter 13 on, he begins to reveal the secret, the mystery of the kingdom. Chapter 16 is a great chapter, one of, one of my favorite chapters in all of, of the Gospels. It's in, a, it's in a portion of the Gospel where both the Scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples are having to come to terms with who Jesus really is. 
There's a lot of rumors flying around. And starting in verse 13 of, of chapter 16, it says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the King. The anointed King. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one everyone's been waiting for. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And the whole idea of a mystery is that it's something covered that is then uncovered and then revealed. And to Peter it had been uncovered to an extent. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, he's let you in on the secret. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. You can know every secret. You can go in every closet. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. My son asked me the other day, why did Jesus always want to keep a secret? Have you ever asked that? Why does he keep saying, or when he heals someone, he says, don't tell anyone. I don't have a good answer for that. There's a lot of theories about that. One of them I'll get to here in a second. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples, here's the secret. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You can't say it any more plainly than that. It's been hinted at, it's been alluded to, People have sort of seen it. Prophets have longed to look into it. And here Jesus just says, you've seen who I really am. Now let me tell you how it's done. Let me tell you what goes on in the backroom dealings of this governmental entity we call the kingdom of God. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He's just been told the whole secret of the kingdom of God. And he's in denial. He says, no, 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 that's not how it's going to happen. We're going to muster up an army. We're going to throw off Roman rule. You're going to lead... I saw what you did in the feeding of the 5,000. I bet you could do some pretty, pretty miraculous stuff. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now this is the, the, the proximity here to what has just happened is striking. <laughs> you are Peter. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now get behind me, Satan. 
<laughs> you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I've just told you the secret, but your mind can't, you can't wrap your mind around it. You still are thinking in an earthly way. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the way. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the secret. But it's not registering. It's not sinking in. Right? Jesus has literally taken Peter into the most secret level, whatever, the highest security clearance in all of the, in all of the kingdom of God and said, this is, what's, this is what's going to happen. And Peter says, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. This isn't it. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, this, I don't think he was calling Peter Satan. It was that mindset, which was Satan. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what's the essence of the temptations? If you're the son of God, you can just go ahead and do it. You can just go ahead and be who you know you are. But Jesus was dead set on not rejecting the path that the Father had set before him, which was to go to the cross. And, and, and Satan always wanted to offer Jesus a way around the cross. But the secret of the kingdom is that Messiah will die and will go into the ground and will be raised. And that's the real power of the kingdom. So wherever... Wherever there's a temptation to go around the suffering of the cross and to avoid it, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? He rebukes Satan in the wilderness. If you're the son of God, turn, just use your powers and turn these stones to bread. He said, no, 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 no. That's not how we do it. If you want the world to worship you, hey, you just worship me, I'll give you the world. That's not how we do it. I'm going to walk the path that the Father has set before me because I know the secret. I know the secrets of the kingdom. I know the mystery of the kingdom. If you go to chapter 18, Jesus again is, is fleshing this out. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never Enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's upside down. It's the opposite of what you would think. Who's the greatest? The one who's the least. That's the secret. That's the mystery. That's what Jesus came to unveil. In chapter 26 of Matthew... Jesus wrestles in the garden, right? And it's this, this familiar struggle that he went through all through his ministry. Verse 39, and going on a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Which, by the way, is what you pray when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Do you ever think of it in the context of the Garden of Gethsemane? I see the cup you want me to drink. Now, I don't, I don't want to do it. Nevertheless, thy will be done. It's not just a, 
It's not just an empty saying that we repeat endlessly. Thy will be done means even when it costs me my life. Verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So Jesus embraces the path. He, he, he lives according to the way of, of, that the father had set before him. And I love how Matthew tells the story of, of the, the death and, and Jesus' suffering because what's going on all around him, but what's actually going on in the eyes of God is he's being enthroned. He is taking his place. The mystery of the kingdom is reaching its fulfillment and it's being exposed to, to everyone. But the, Matthew registers is what people, how, how people are viewing what's going on. So in chapter 27, verse 28, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. To them, it was, it was an insult. It was a mockery. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and put a reed in his hand. But in the eyes of God, it was a real crown. And it was a real scepter. And Jesus was taking the authority that was rightfully his in the way and in the manner in which the Father had always intended. Oh, I I skipped over one part I, I also wanted to read. Uh, 26, uh, verse 51. This is when he's being arrested. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. This follower of Jesus had thought, this can't happen. This is, maybe this is how the uprising is supposed to begin. Get your swords out, let's go. All for one and one for all. And Jesus says, put the swords away. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? I don't need an army. You don't, you wouldn't even believe the army that's at my disposal. And he says, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? Again, it's this idea of Jesus using every means of, of self-control and, and integrity to, to brush away and reject any any way of establishing his authority, establishing his kingdom in a man-centered way, in a, in a, in a selfish way, in a prideful way. The only way that, that the Father intended for his king to establish authority was through self-sacrifice. And again, that's the state secret. That's the secret of the authority in the kingdom of God. 
It's self-emptying. It's self-sacrificing. And you see Jesus over and over rejecting the easy way. Rejecting the non-self-sacrificial way. And choosing to drink the cup that the Father had given him. Chapter seven, verse uh, chapter twenty-seven, verse thirty-seven, or a little before that, verse thirty-four. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. That was meant to ease the pain. He said, "I'm like, no, that's not the cup I'm going to drink. I'm drinking the cup that the Father has poured for me." Verse thirty-seven over his head. They put the charge against him. This is the charge. This is the accusation. The charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, here's where, here's where I think Matthew's telling the story becomes so profound. And just listen to this. Then two of the robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, which is exactly the way Satan began every one of his temptations. If you're the Son of God, casting doubt on the identity of Jesus. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. They didn't understand the mystery. The mystery of the kingdom is that the sons of God don't come down from the cross. And in doing that, they are true sons of God. So the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He saves others by not saving himself. Do you see these accusations are the very secrets, deep secrets of the way the kingdom works. And this is the mystery that was hidden for ages. But Jesus came to reveal. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross. And we will believe in him. It doesn't work like that. God's gathering together a people who believe and proclaim, as it's said about the Lord's Supper, proclaim their Lord's death. It's our, it's our badge of pride. Ours is the king that didn't come down from the cross. Ours is the king that didn't take the easy way out. Ours is the king that forgives sins where it's totally undeserved. At great cost to himself. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So what is the mystery of the kingdom? Is that the king is on a cross. And from the cross, he exercises his authority. And you look all the way into Revelation, what do you see? You see the throne of God and you see a lamb as if it had been slain. In the throne room of God, in the most glorious heavenly vision you can imagine, there is a lamb standing as if it had been slain. This is in the very heart of God. And this was all of, this is the mystery that once you see it, 
You go read through the whole story again, and you see it all over the place. You see it all over the Old Testament. We've been seeing it all this year. I mentioned that the wise men recognized it even in the manger. That they came and worshipped him and said, this is the king of the Jews. And they weren't saying it in an ironic, deriding way. They were honoring this king as the king of the Jews and paying homage to who he would become. They recognized it even in a manger. But on the cross, those scribes and Pharisees, they didn't recognize it. Verse 54, chapter 27. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Some saw it. Some recognized it. So, the king was in a manger. Right? That's his incarnation. He took on flesh. The king is on a cross. I love the song where it says, Why lies he in such mean estate? Where ox and lamb are feeding. What's he, what's he doing in a manger? What's he doing on a cross? He's being the king after God's own heart. So I want to read um, in closing. Philippians 2. Talk about the state secret. This is the most profound mystery that's been uncovered that we now know. But if you're ever wondering about the motives of the authority in the kingdom of God, the way God governs, here it is. It's spelled out for you. There's no other back room. There's no other locked door. This is it. We've been welcomed in and and, and these... Mysteries have been uncovered and revealed plainly for all to see. Here it is. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's verse 5. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. There's his incarnation. There's the king in the manger. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he beat someone? No. Because he won the game? No. Because he outwitted his opponent? Well, I guess he kind of did. Because he submitted himself. Because he took on flesh and he became obedient to the point of death on a cross. 
And so Jesus himself can say with boldness and confidence, without an ounce of self-seeking, all authority in heaven on earth, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Given what I have just come through, all authority has been given to me. I've been given the name above all names. Now, go. Make disciples. Go lay down your life. The servant's no greater than the master. But it will be sufficient for the servant to be like his master. So, he has called us to go. He has called us to build the kingdom, to preach the gospel. What's the gospel do we, that we preach? What is the way we teach people? What is the mystery that we reveal to them? It's that I am 100% submitted to the will of the Father. And what he wants me to do, however much it costs me, that's what I'm going to do. And my life is now about obeying him in that way, taking up my own cross and following him and calling others to do the same thing. And that's it. That's how the kingdom grows. It doesn't grow by military power, by political conniving. It doesn't grow by uh, scholarly discovery. It grows when the sons and daughters of God stop taking the easy way out. And submit to the will of the Father and say, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that, and only that, is the way the kingdom spreads in the earth. And that's why Jesus came. That's, how we, that's, that's why he became. Can you imagine if Jesus is an infant? The God of all creation is an infant. It's unfathomable until you understand the mystery. And then it makes perfect sense. And you realize that it couldn't have been anything but that. The king in the manger, the king on the cross. What a God we serve. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we exalt you. We thank you that you have revealed to us your purposes Uh, by the way that your son Jesus took on flesh, by the way that he became obedient to the point of death on a cross. And Lord, we, we along with you, we want to exalt him and say he is the one. And Lord, in this season of contemplating your birth, uh, your incarnation, in this season of longing, uh, Lord, place a longing in our hearts to enter into that, the, that life that lives in the mystery of the, of the kingdom, which is somehow that, that weakness and self-sacrifice and self-empty causes the kingdom to grow and causes the, kingdom, the, the life that is indestructible to come forth into the earth through our own lives. We want to follow your commission, Lord. We want to obey your words just the way that you obeyed your father's direction. And through obedience, it says, you went to the cross. Lord, give us obedient hearts, hearts that see what you're truly up to and join you in it. Lord, I pray that the mystery of the kingdom would not be a mystery to us. It would be a way of life. It would be another day at the office. 
Thank you, Lord. Go with us. Uh, Thank you for uh, this time this morning. Lord, I want to. I just want to speak a blessing on on Mike and and Tate's Brook. Pray that the, the the life of Jesus, the way of the kingdom, would be uh, living and active here among this church. That it would go out from here, and that Jesus truly would be lifted up. That they would proclaim our Lord's death until He comes. Or may we all do that. Uh, may you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.